Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where I interview guests about their crazy, unique occupations or life experiences. I'm your host, Leslie Fear. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today, I'm joined with Alexa Weinbaum, and she has a really tragic story that I thought might really be good for you guys to understand and learn because true crimes like this really do happen. And uh, especially in your backyard, you have no idea. So Alexa, you go by Lexi. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here. I am so excited. I'm a huge fan. Well, thank you. I really can't say I loved your story because it was really heartbreaking. Um, I know, but I really was intrigued by it. And it made me as a parent wonder what I would have done in your mother's shoes, those kinds of things. So tell me what happened. This happened back in 2015 when you were 16 years old. And I'm just going to hand the mic to you. Okay. Um, Hi, everyone. As Leslie was saying, I go by Lexi typically. Um, You may or may not know me from TikTok. And if you do, you may be familiar with my sort of tagline, which is, hi, my name is Lexi and my best friends tried to kill me. So to just get that out of the way, that is what I am here to talk about. Uh, In 2015, I became the victim of a brutal attack that was kind of the result of some ongoing years of abuse. Um, And it was perpetrated by my best friends at that time. And years later, about seven and a half years later, I decided that I was finally going to speak about it. So um, I'm lucky enough that I have had so many people being so open to allowing me to share their platform with them. And I've been able to share a little bit myself. Uh, So yeah, that's kind of the background. Okay. What I am just, first of all, baffled by is these are people that you knew from, you said, age 13, and they were your friends. Like, literally, these were, like, really good friends of yours. And I don't know what went wrong, Lexi. So do you think it's something uh, within the group? Do you think it was maybe the drugs? Tell me more about what happened. So I started a relationship with this guy. I have historically called him John, um, fake name, but we were together starting when I was about just turned 14 years old. I met him when I was 13 and it was a quite abusive relationship. John was not much older than I was, but he was, you know, quite a violent, dangerous person and put me in a lot of bad situations. And he was the one who actually introduced me to uh, my friends that ended up attacking me. Uh, So he kind of controlled my life for a really long time where I was not allowed to be friends with anyone that he didn't allow me to, which basically was no one. And there was this one girl I call her Sadie, and they knew each other really well, and I actually was usually allowed to talk to her, and she introduced me to the boys that later on would attack me. So yeah, I met them all. I met the two boys that were there when I was 15, and I met Sadie and John when I was 13, 14 years old. So you're saying at 13 years old, when you meet this guy and you kind of start dating and he's about your age, he's already abusive at that age? Yeah. Um, Some some things that he was doing. So he used to force me. I've always been a vegetarian and he would force me to like watch videos of animals being slaughtered while kind of laughing in my face. Or there was this viral video of this girl um, taking her own life that happened around that time period that he would force me to watch decapitation videos, like very horrific things. He would threaten me with weapons Yeah, it was a very weird situation. And 
definitely not normal for the timeline, but I reported him several times to my school. I was extremely concerned. I was aware that he was abusing me in so many different ways and the school neglected to do anything. So, okay, I got to ask. I mean, first of all, he sounds like a psychopath. (laughs) He sounds like something out of some kind of serial killer novel or movie. And the fact that here's here's another thing that I have to consider, and I have to always keep this in consideration. You're so young. You're 13, 14 years old. You're, you're a freshman in high school. You are, let's be honest, you're really not mature enough to, to handle this. And I'm sure you're telling your mom all kinds of things just so you can still have a life because if she probably knew these things, you would be grounded forever. So there were definitely some issues with telling my parents. I, first of all, want to say I have the most welcoming, accepting family. And I definitely could have told them. Um, I didn't know if I would get in trouble. I right. I mean, yeah. he had kind of convinced me that something that wasn't going to happen was going to happen. On top of the fact, he also eventually down the line started threatening my family. He would tell me if I told my parents that they would die or if I told, if I told anyone that he was going to kill himself or whatever. So that kind of manipulation led me to being like I absolutely can say nothing to anyone and also you know I liked Sadie and her friends that later became my best friends and I I wanted to continue to be friends with them and they were doing things that I knew my mom wouldn't approve of so I just would lie to her about it if I'm being honest. Of course. And you know, John, classic narcissist behavior. Let's be honest. Yeah. That's exactly what that is. At such a young age, you'll wonder what kind of upbringing that boy had. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be that manipulative that early. But we're not talking about John, we're talking about you. So you're with this guy and he's manipulating. You're even reporting it because you can't really get out of it. You're probably just trying to talk to any adult that will listen. And you don't want to scare your parents, maybe, too. Because this is scary, you know, and you don't want their lives to be in jeopardy because this guy has you indoctrinated into thinking he'll do something and or to them or himself. So, okay, that's not good. So does this go on for a while? What happens then? So we were together from, I want to say it was like early 2014. Um, My timeline's like with we actually started being in a relationship a little bit um, foggy because I was so young. I honestly didn't even really think it was real I thought we were going to hold hands at the movie theater right? um, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. so we started sometime in early 2014 and then we were together until August of 2015 and that's when he left he went away to school and I kind of thought that the abuse was going to end but at the same time after he left I kind of craved being with him because I got so used to it. I I thought that that was the love that I deserved. And I, and since no one had ever done anything or corrected the behavior. I have interviewed people. Listen, you're very on target here. I've interviewed people that have had Stockholm syndrome after being with a narcissist. And that is something you get used to. It is your comfort zone, even though it's abusive, even though it's horrific behavior from him, you get used to it and you crave it. And it's absolutely something I understand. Yeah, I think I think that that's really what it was. I got used to being so afraid of him. Yeah. And I got used to wanting him to leave, but being so afraid. And then when he finally did leave, and it seemed like I was going to, you know, run home and I was free, 
all I could think about was, wow, I want him back or he's yeah. the only person that's ever actually loved me. And I, I missed him so much. I even remember. So while he was away, he wasn't on his phone or anything. So I would send him messages, voicemails. And I, I remember I was looking through these after my attack happened. And um, I would just tell my friends that I was finally allowed to talk to for the first time that I was the one that cut them out because oh, him and I had such a good relationship yeah. and they needed to be jealous. And I would I would like paint this narrative that was a complete lie from what was actually happening of how he was amazing. And then I wanted his approval so bad that I would send him screenshots while he couldn't even answer just of like me saying all these nice things about him to be like, look, look how much I love you. Look at what I'm doing. Maybe when you come back, we can actually be together and you won't be mean and you won't oh, hurt me more. Of course you thought that. Of course you do those things to make him more impressed. You miss him. You crave that that love from someone that you really didn't get it from. But hey, let me prove my love so that you can love me from afar, even if it's from afar right now, because you'll be back and maybe we can have a relationship. Totally, totally makes sense. I get it. I really do. So he's gone. What happens next? So we're going to fast forward a little bit to December of 2015, and I am hanging out with the friends that I met through him. The two boys I didn't meet through him because they didn't really like him. Everyone knew each other, but um, they weren't all friends. And I was hanging out with Sadie and two other guys who I've called Steve and Andy. Mm -hmm. That's just their names in my fake characters. Um, But I was hanging out with Steve and Andy and Sadie, and we decided that we were going to get together, kind of tell this lie to my parents that we were going to be hanging out for my birthday, which was two weeks prior at the end of November. I had just turned 16 and that we were going to smoke some weed. It's just going to be this like cool, fun day. And so that's what I thought was going to happen. And what ended up happening is that when I was given the weed to smoke, I was the only person that consumed the substance. Mm. Within like one hit, I started coughing. Everyone kind of like looked at each other, whatever. And turns out that they actually drugged me with uh, some marijuana Mm. that was laced with some other things. And essentially how this was explained to me was that it was basically a poisoning. And that was what we believe was meant to take my life. But then on top of that, they tortured me. So physical assault, um, emotional assault, beating, everything, basically. Um, I don't go too much into my physical injuries just because I hold the idea that I don't really want people to fully know what happened to the body of a 16-year-old girl. I I feel like... That feels uncomfortable to me, and and that's a space that I like to protect. Sure. So, but let me ask you this: Why? What was the reason? I mean, was is it just because they got their jollies off doing this? Is it just because they didn't like you, or I mean, does there really need to be a reason when you got a bunch of sixteen-year-old dumbasses? I mean, what you know, what is it? So they were not sixteen. Um, oh. I will say that the oh. the two boys were older than me. And the girl was actually a little bit younger than me. Um, So the boys had been kind of grooming my friend and I for a long time, which they would like offer to get us alcohol, offer to like smoke with us, whatever stuff that sounded cool. And they also, you know, told me 
because they didn't like John. Like, oh, it's going to help you forget. Like, smoking weed is so cool. It's what everyone does. And I didn't really have a lot of friends. So I wanted to feel included. And and this is what the cool kids were doing is what I thought. Um, I didn't realize that anything else could possibly be going on. So as far as why, that's kind of a loaded question. Um, I know that I found out that something happened through – I mean, I always kind of knew, but like later on, Sadie called me maybe six months later and told me that she wakes up screaming every night and was diagnosed with PTSD and whatever. And I flat out was like, what happened? Yeah. She was like, well, there was something about someone thought it would be fun to kill someone else or uh, I don't know. Mm. It, the whole call was like very jumbled. I only really remember some of it because I wrote about it on my Twitter actually okay. uh, because I was really pissed off that she of called course. me. Yeah. So I, I kind of like logged the entire thing online and I didn't, I don't know. I kind of thought that at the time, I think I probably was like, yeah, that was serious, but like you're psychotic. Like that's, yeah. that's <laughs> right. not what happened. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, still to this day, I think it's, hard for me to fully believe what happened because obviously I have the memories of fighting for my life and how hateful they looked and cold that they were acting towards me and the things that they did but I still am like no someone couldn't do that to another person there must be and and immediately afterwards the police told me you know hey you know here's what we think happened whatever and I just kept telling them that that's absolutely not true and I went along with the false story that my friend Sadie had had painted to them and I don't know I played around with it for a long time and where I started to kind of realize and put the puzzle pieces together is people started contacting me and being like hey this person was joking about poisoning you and it happened like sending me evidence like this happened a year prior or whatever here's this reference of this person telling me that they were going to kill you here's this whatever and oh my um, god and there was so much to this day that just piled up and piled up and piled up where basically the entire thing like came together as this whole like elaborate plan and then it just was so clear and I found that out I mean, sometimes the puzzle pieces are still coming together. Sometimes ever since my TikTok went viral, I've had people reach out to me that knew these people and tell me details that I, I was not aware of at the time it happened or show me something that they knew that I didn't know. And it just kind of proves to me how premeditated the entire thing was, but I, I still don't know why I have theories, but I, I don't know. I mean, here's my thing too, as a parent, but when I was growing up, you know, we didn't have the internet. Your mom probably didn't have a ton of the internet either. She's younger than me, I'm sure. But you know, we didn't have the access to the internet that you guys do now. So everything was so much more private. Everything was just not in your face kind of thing. Um, I'm not saying it was necessarily more innocent, but I do think in some ways it was because the internet is so global now and that everybody can be involved and it almost like feeds itself and feeds itself and then you've got this perfect storm of the crap that happened to you and I'm just flabbergasted that these people or these teenagers later teenagers I don't know how old the boys were could actually carry this out and think it's fun you nearly died and then I need to talk to you about your near-death experience too because I got a double whammy here with the paranormal because I've got a paranormal true crime podcast so you got to tell me what happened with that so you got really badly drugged with poison so tell me what happened so 
within a couple minutes of what had happened. So I took, I took only one singular hit and I started coughing. I only had one hit and I started coughing and I noticed like everyone's eyes were darting around and Mm. they started kind of making jokes. And I said something to the effect of what you think I can't hang or whatever. And I remember um, one of the boys was like, no, it's just, that's some fire shit. And I was kind of like, are you talking about like weed is weed I, I mean I guess that's not entirely true but I didn't right, fully right. know and I remember I saw my grandmother my great-grandmother really oh, wow. um her name was Alice and she had died when I was three years old she had Alzheimer's okay. and I saw her and we were kind of in this room and together and I remember I was like oh my god I'm so excited like to see you because my brain immediately was like grandmother love her i i want to run towards her and whatever yeah and then she just it it just became terrifying so quickly and that kind of ended with she kept asking me this question of alexa do you remember falling asleep and she just kept repeating it and i eventually as she kept saying it I thought more and more about it and was trying to prove to myself, hey, this is this is what's happening. Right. And then my brain was like, oh, my God, I'm not asleep. I am oh literally God. awake. And I remember being in this room and I remember I remember I smoked weed with them. What the f- like what is going on? And then I felt this like sharp hit and I opened my eyes and I was on the floor Um, I had been at one point I had like been pushed down onto the couch, um, but this all kind of felt like I was like flip flopping in and out. Like, so at this point, I don't know how to explain it. How I remember thinking of it at the time was that it felt like, you know, when you hold your iPhone camera and it's like straight up and down. I, I don't know if you remember like uploading a YouTube video in like 2013 or something Uh and you recorded your iPhone camera with the black bars on the side. Maybe this was oddly specific, but it felt like that where like I couldn't fully see and I just, Mm. it felt like there was like one realm, I guess we can call it right next to the reality of what was happening. So like in one version, there was my grandmother and then the other version I'm here in this room being attacked So some other stuff happens, but then I have like, I was having these very realistic hallucinations of just like things being okay, but then things turning traumatic. So like I was with my mom later on and I I guess I probably haven't really spoken about these publicly because I don't really talk about the weird hallucinations or paranormal parts of what happened. Um, I was with my mom and my mom was like, Alexa, it's time to get ready for school. And I was like, okay, cool. And I like went to go get ready for school. It was kind of like my life was like flashing before me. These were things that like memories that like I actually remember having. I remember being excited to see my grandmother or whatever. I was three at the time, but I I remember like running to see her in the nursing home, which was kind of um, what I think was the scene that we were in. But my mom was telling me it's time to get ready for school. And I was like five years old and I go to get up and put my clothes on. And then I have this moment looking in the mirror where I'm like, oh my God, I don't go to school. I'm homeschooled and I'm 16. I'm not five. And then I flash back into reality and someone's on top of me or something's happening. And all the while, like, these are lasting a few seconds, then I'm back in reality for a few seconds. And when I'm in reality, I'm fighting for my life and I'm kicking and I'm screaming and Mm. whatever. 
I eventually get out of the house. I want to say the entire thing lasted like a couple of minutes um, until I was out of the house because the owner of the house, his mom, actually is as awful as this was. She kind of saved my life because she said um, I needed to get off her property because I'm not dying there. Oh and, my that God. She, and that the boys were already in enough trouble, or at least one of them was, because they had charges of harming other people um, oh that pre-existed to me, which, like, I didn't know about those because I didn't Google my friends. Right. Uh, right. Well, why would you? I mean, yeah. yeah. I so mean. I never knew that they had anything against them. So she kicked me out of the house. But when she kicked me out, they were like, all right, we're going to just, like, leave, go somewhere else. And she was like, no, you're not. Like, I think she knew what was going on and just didn't want to be held responsible for it because, I mean, she's seen that her son has done a lot of really messed up things. And I don't really, I don't know her, so I don't really want to comment too much on her. But she did kick me out and I took to the streets where, you know, some more fighting happened for my life. And Mm -hmm. But still, I'm going in and out of these hallucinations. And one thing I always remember is, I said to myself, wow, my reality feels like a Vincent Van Gogh painting right now. Like, it literally looked like I was in the starry night. Like, everything was so blurry. Nothing looked real. My ears felt, like, super waterlogged. Um, I couldn't really hear anything. My vision was, like, boxed in. It felt like checkers at this point. Mm. Um, And I continue fighting and fighting and fighting. Um, And just to fast forward a little bit, uh, the thing that I kept saying to keep myself conscious was um, I have two black and white horses. Their names are Polly and Lightning. And so I kept repeating that to myself because I kept losing. Like, I remember as this was happening, it being so terrifying because it would occur to me and then it would go missing. So Mm. it was weird because I remember having a thought of like, oh my God, it's like, I'm like my grandmother and I have Alzheimer's. Like I remember this thing. And then two seconds later, it's gone. And thankfully, like once all of my memories came back, I was able to kind of recall even having that thought. But in the moment, it completely disappeared. The only thing that I could remember about myself was that I had two black and white horses and I just kept saying it and saying it. But eventually I started not being able to walk. Mm. And then I, I was like, oh my God, I'm losing my cognitive. I can't think, I can't walk it felt like I was drunk except my legs weren't moving and my body felt a lot like I couldn't I'd like try to walk my legs forward and they just wouldn't and eventually I collapsed oh my and God. when I was collapsed someone found me and whatever and they called 911 but I remember just thinking about this I collapsed to the ground and I don't remember if the guy was talking to me before I had collapsed or whatever but he said to my friend like I don't believe you so she was telling everyone that stopped to offer me help that I was schizophrenic or that I had a heart condition or like whatever, insert whatever excuse she could come up with to explain why I was in such bad shape. And I collapsed. And I remember I fell onto the ground. I was in front of this white house and everything got very hot Mm. really quickly. And then I felt like I was being almost like vacuumed And it felt like I was, like, going every which way. Like, at first I was, like, down and up and whatever. And um, I felt like I was, like, literally being, like, suctioned out of my body. And Mm. I remember trying so hard to, like – I kept, like, screaming at myself, Alexa, breathe, breathe, breathe. And I remember trying so hard to breathe. And my chest just wasn't rising. Like, I I was like, no, like, 
lungs work, do your job. And it just like wasn't rising. And my toes got like really, really warm and they started to burn and then they got like super ice cold. And then that sensation just like traveled up my whole body. Mm -hmm. And I thought in this moment to myself, I was like, okay, you're dying. Like that this is it. You are going to die. And I had this feeling of like terror and the way I describe this to people is it felt like I was like my own big sister. Like I felt like I was sitting there on the pavement Mm -hmm. with this girl who was laying on the floor dying. And I was talking to her in her last moments. Yeah. And I had like this thought of like, um, oh my God, everyone's going to know I got murdered because my phone is going to show this. And then these people are going to, they're going to get in so much trouble. And then what's going to happen? Are my parents like, how are they going to feel about this? Everyone's going to find out. And I, and then there was like this feeling of embarrassment for that because I was like, oh my God, everyone's going to think I'm stupid. And we know what happens to like victims in like true crime cases and, and they get dragged through the mud and whatever. And I'm not even going to be here to defend myself. And, and then I was like, I just kept like rubbing my arm kind of in this like hallucin. Like it literally was like there were two of me. And I just was like rubbing my arm and I was like, no, don't worry about that right now. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to die here. And what if I did something wrong and I'm like not going to heaven? I was a super religious person at this time period. And I was like, what if I am not going to heaven? And oh my God. And I was like rubbing my own head and whatever in the hallucination, whatever you want to call it. And I was saying to myself, "Um, okay you need to start praying. And that's what I did. I started to pray and I started to be like, okay, I am so sorry that this happened and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm about to go lights out. I don't know. I really don't know. I'm like, God, I'm asking you for help. I'm giving it all to you. Like I'm terrified right now. And I'm kind of traveling through this like little tunnel thing. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, What I recognize next is like the sensation that I would describe as everyone always says that like your brain is alive for like seven minutes or whatever. Because next thing I know, I'm in a classroom that I actually was in. I am maybe four years old in kindergarten and I'm sitting on a yellow square on, I don't know if you'll remember, like we had those like, uh, the younger kids always had those like colored rugs and everyone would sit on a different square. I assumed that maybe other places did that, but I was sitting on like my yellow square and I was with one of my teachers who had actually passed away at this point. And we were having a conversation about a hurricane that was happening. I don't remember. It was like one of the big ones, the one that like ruined like Louisiana. I think it was in like 2005 and 2006 or something. Katrina. Yes. We were talking about that. She was teaching us about it um, because that was what we were seeing on the news. And she was explaining to us all these things that we were seeing because a lot of the kids were scared. And I was just like taking this in. And I think that the point of that was that that moment in my life was probably the first moment that I realized that humans die. Um, because I remember going home to my mom that day and being so terrified that I was in this like hallucination, just watching this, watching this memory play through. And, and later that day I got in trouble and I, I had to turn my card. I think I had to turn it red or something. 
And I, I'm just like living through this like day of kindergarten Alexa in her life. And then we flash forward and I'm like in middle school and whatever. And and it just keeps going like this. And I keep replaying through these like big critical moments yes. in my life. And I'm just like watching them. It's so hard for me to explain what this sensation was like because it's not like anything I've ever felt before. Like yeah. I, yeah. I'm like in a tube. I'm not seeing this through like my mind's eye like it it almost like exists somewhere else I don't know you if know that makes funny, sense because Alexa it sounds almost like you were still kind of tethered to the body but your soul was still you know right outside because the way I look at things we all have a higher self on the other side and there's fragments of our higher self that come down and live all these lives because I believe in reincarnation so your Alexis in this one life but your higher self may have been the one sitting next to you going don't worry about that you're fine. Everything's okay. And I don't know if that gave you a sense of peace or that you were literally just, you were really just right outside your body, giving yourself that peace. But when you're on the other side, that ego goes away and all of a sudden you're a different frequency. You're just, it's always beautiful on the other side. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's, there's no heaven or hell. It's just more about you're with source. You're just on the other side with something much bigger than you, something that will never, never end because we're all eternal souls. So in my mind, that's kind of what may have happened. And then you're right, all these pivotal moments in your life, you're going, Oh, okay. Now I think I might die. The first time I thought about death was when Hurricane Katrina came and destroyed New Orleans. And that teacher was telling me about it. Now that makes sense. I totally get this. That just kept happening, like different pivotal moments. And then eventually, towards kind of the end of it, I was in a room. Yeah. And it was like a white room and there were just a bunch of people that I knew that had passed away. And I was so excited to see all of them. I remember they just looked so beautiful. Yeah. And I, I saw my grandmother again and she was not scary this time. And um, we talked and joked around and she used to do this thing when I was little where she would like bump my forehead with yeah. her forehead. Uh -huh. And she did that to me. And then she told me... Uh, so she came over on Ellis Island when she was younger. Oh, yeah. Um, and she had told me, she was like, no one's going to believe this happened. So I want you, when you wake up, I want you to tell your grandfather, which is her son. She was my great-grandmother, but I always called her grandma. Okay. Um, so I want you to tell my son this thing and, and then he's going to believe you, which was her name, her actual name from, she was from Poland okay. when she lived in Poland. And I want you to tell him that so that he knows that you actually were with me. Wow. I had never heard this name in my entire life. Her name was Wada Schwaba. Oh, and wow. um, her name when she came over was Alice. And her sister, I, I don't fully remember what it was, but I guess their names got flip-flopped because her sister's initial name was like Alice or something. Yeah. And then she ended up being Helen. And she told me, no one's going to know that. No one is going to know that. So then I was like, what do you mean? Why am I going back? Like, I'm going to yeah. stay here with you. I love you. Like, we're together again, whatever. And she was like, no. And then I saw someone else that I knew that had passed away. And they told me something that, again, I also later on found out was a true thing. Wow. Uh, that one's a little bit more of like private. I don't want to expose any details, sure. but she had told me something that I never even knew about what had happened. And later on, I mentioned it in a conversation and found out that it was entirely factually correct. Um, and I did not think so. 
And so I was told, like, you need to go back. Your work is not done. And I was just so upset because it was like, no, it's I love it here. I do not want to go <laughs> yeah. back. Nobody wants to come back. Every single near-death experiencer I have interviewed have said, I don't want to come back. And the other side is more real than here. Uh, yeah, I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. It just felt it was just like love and like yeah. happiness and pretty. And yeah. I don't know. It was so bizarre because there's not like words for it. And it's true uh, because you're still you. Like you're still Alexa. You still have your personality. You still have all your thoughts and everything. But the ego is eventually gone. Like you don't go, oh, I want them to, you know, be punished and all that. That that part's gone. And then we're just like, oh, this is just a play. This isn't really real. This part's real where we are here we're just having a human experience down here. And unfortunately, you just had a very traumatic human experience. And you sounds like, well, I don't think you were really given a choice. But maybe if you'd fought, I don't know. But it sounds like, you know, they were like, No, you need to go back, tell my son, you know, he'll, he'll believe you if I say my name. And then some other things they told you. But I get why you wanted to stay. Everybody wants to stay. And they say there's no religion on the other side. There's no religion. Yeah. So next thing I know, I opened my eyes. So actually, yeah, not entirely true because there was one time in the ambulance that I opened my eyes, but I can't remember. The timeline of it gets so foggy because sure. I was in critical condition. Yeah. Of if this thing had happened, if like the near death piece of it happened while I was on the side of the road, because I know that was when I was being administered medical care and it was reported that I was being administered CPR. Okay. Or, but like time doesn't exist. No. At that point, and I opened my eyes kind of briefly in the ambulance, and I remember, like, staring at the back of um, the plus sign on the ambulance door and thinking, like, nothing feels real, like, reality doesn't exist. I remember being like, who is my mom? And I could think of a stick figure. What is a person? Like, it was just, like, ego death. Like, that's what the doctor said. It was, like, ego death. It didn't exist. Um, Oh, wow. But I, like I said, I just don't fully recall the timeline of how, when that all started or, but yeah, so they said I needed to come back. And next thing that I remember was waking up and my grandfather, her son had his head on my face and he was stroking my hair the same way I was. in my my hallucination you know holding my hand my grandmother was holding my hand my mom was not yet there okay and I didn't fully know who anyone was I just knew that there was love like I was like okay I wasn't scared because I was like I know this person and I know I'm supposed to know this person right Uh, but I still was kind of like how I describe it is it felt like one foot was in the door, another foot was not because yeah. my grandmother was still in that room wow. and she was sitting there and she was rubbing my hand and yeah. sitting right beside her son who did not know that she was there. And wow. to me, I was like, oh, yeah, that's I don't know. That's normal. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, I was like, yeah, dead people every day. Because my brain at that point was like, oh, she's not dead. She's just, she's alive. She's right there. And I got to uh, ask Alexi real quick before you go on. Have you gained, so a lot of people that have near-death experiences, they gain abilities. I don't know. I actually just talked to my partner about this the other day. Yeah. Because I do think that I, like, there are definitely weird things that I do uh, like, all right, for example, a big one was in 2019, yeah. late 2019, so like May, 
I got very sick and I started to have an obsession that a pandemic was going to start. So much so that I called the CDC and asked to speak to the epidemiologist at the CDC. And I, I got through and I asked them what the likelihood was that a pandemic could start. And they were like, oh, that's not happening. And I could literally even prove it. Like, I still have all the text messages on my phone oh from texting my, my mom and being like, because I keep all of my messages. Like, I was texting my mom and I was like, there's going to be a pandemic. It's going to happen, whatever. And they were like, mm, no, that's not happening. It was my obsession. And eventually it went away. And then um, my mom was actually one of the first people that got sick in the U.S. with COVID. Um, oh, my God. But I told her back, it was like January of 2020. And I was like this virus that is happening like it's it's some mystery flu and whatever i'm telling you it's going to turn into a pandemic and everyone was like nah you're insane like whatever and i was like no it's that thing that i told you guys i was afraid of in may yeah and everyone was like mm, you're delusional like i mean i used to be in psychosis um i got better from that yeah. and i don't know it just seemed like it wasn't that big of a thing but you know other things have happened like that where I like weirdly seem to know something yeah. is going to happen beforehand. And I wouldn't say it's like I, someone tells me it's more like I become afraid of an actual situation that oh, ends okay, up okay. happening, which I guess people could argue is like I manifested it into reality. I don't really know how I feel about that. <laughs> but even the other day, yeah. I currently I currently have a sick horse. And first of all, before I even knew he was sick, I woke up that morning and I was like, something's wrong with lightning is his name. I have to go to the barn. I have to go check on him. Something's wrong. I don't know. I just have a feeling. And I went and he, he was super sick. And then later on in the week, about last Wednesday, he got super duper sick with an over 105 degree fever. Oh, no. I was at home eating a bagel and I started having this feeling that I couldn't breathe. Oh, and I said to my mom, mom, like I'm, I'm having some sort of panic attack. I don't know, but I'm not anxious. I think I need to go check on Lightning. And she was like, no, Lightning's fine. Like, you just saw him two hours ago, and he was totally fine. I was like, no, 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 I think I, I have to go. And I went, and he was borderline about to die. Oh, my God. And I just had this, like, horrible sensation that, like, he couldn't breathe or something. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, but that's been happening to me really ever since, Yes, I want to say. Yeah. But I wouldn't say it's, like, some... I don't know. I have an opinion on it. It's more sure. just like a weird thing I've noticed. Well, and don't be wrong. You know, whether you want to nurture this and, and maybe see where it goes, that's totally your call. But it seems like you gained a little bit of psychicness, which is like, you know, knowing maybe more about the future. That's a psychic ability. And the mediumship is more about homing in on spirits and or lost loved ones or ones that are here with us that you're getting inclinations on. So like I said, totally up to you if you want to, you know, nurture those particular abilities. But you know, to me, all of it's from God. It's all of it's from source, right? I mean, that's what I think of God source, just one big ball of love for all of us. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. I don't really, I mean, I've never really had much of an opinion on that stuff. Uh -huh. It's at someone that like, I grew up religious. That's, sure. I think it's definitely interesting. It's just not something I've ever looked into or explored and I don't think like an avenue that I would 
particularly be interested in pursuing, but I definitely think conversations about it are really intriguing. They're really, aren't they interesting? I mean, it's just, I love how the universe works. And I love how when you were on the other side, you felt so much love and you didn't want to come back. You wanted to be with your great grandmother and you just. Everyone says that too. Yeah. Everyone says it. Absolutely. They say the other side's more real than here. So, and I just love that every single one of them, because none of them know each other. And they all have different experiences. Every single one of them have different experiences. Just like yours is totally different than anybody else's I've heard. But every single one of them has said the same thing about that. Well, it's weird because when I, once I was like fully back and I was getting better, I did get diagnosed with drug-induced psychosis, I will say. But still in the hospital, I decided I was writing a book about having a near-death experience. I didn't know that near-death experiences were a thing. I had never right. heard of them. Right. I thought you just died and you were dead. Yeah. And I did not look up anything. But the first thing that I decided I was going to do is I was going to write down every single thing Good that I remember it happened. Good for you. And I wrote it all down before anyone could potentially cause like a false memory or something. Sure. And so I wrote it all down. I And I was like, I'm going to write a book about having my near-death experience. Absolutely, um, you should. Yeah, that book ended up turning into being something else. But yeah, so I wrote this all down. And then I started diving into near-death experience books because I was curious. And I realized that they were all completely different stories. But like like you just said, everyone says the same thing. I didn't want to come back. It was so beautiful. It feels more real. Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and usually there seems to be like a few types of like, Maybe you were in a tunnel or maybe there was like an animal that showed up. So part of me wonders if it's just, you know, whatever feels comforting to yes, you in the that's moment. Exactly what it is. No, it's exactly what it is. And I've interviewed so many near-death experiencers, not as much as other people. You can even look at um, near-death experiencers um, podcasting if you're ever interested. Um, But if nothing else, it's just a comfort for me to know that, you know, a lot of people are very afraid of death, Alexa. And I am a big advocate on my podcast of letting you know, guys, there's more to just this human existence we have. You don't just die and nothing and now you are proof to know, oh, I, I was looking at my body, stroking my own hair, going, you're fine. You're okay. Don't worry about that right now. But your body fights because the body is supposed to fight to stay alive. You know, that's just that whatever gland in your brain yeah. that makes you want to, well, you know, survive. A- absolutely. Yeah. Supposed to. Yeah. So like I said, and the fact that your grandmother said, say this name to my son so that he will believe you. That's poignant. And weirdly enough, also, he passed away last year, um, sadly. And one of the last things he said was he was like, oh, it's time for me to go back to my mom now. I can finally I can finally see my mom. It's time to go to paradise. And I just I remember that always stuck with me because I was like, I know I know your mom's okay because I saw her. I saw her in 2015 and you're you're going to go be with her. And and then he had like a weird experience where he died the day after my sister's birthday and. My mom saw him. He actually got really sick uh, the day before her birthday and, and should have passed away then. And my mom was like, no, you cannot do this on this day. It's You're it's her birthday yeah. and <laughs> yeah. whatever. And he all of a sudden stabilized, was completely fine, oh, wow. and then passed away the day after that. And that, that really solidified it for me. I was like, yeah. not only are you with your mom, you also were able to show us that you could control your time of death. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. do this amazing thing and then another weird thing is he passed away exactly at 2 p.m. Mm-hmm. 
And at 2 p.m., I was with my partner and we were laying in bed and I was listening to a song called Two. And I had this moment while listening to the song and I was like, okay, it's weird. It's 2 p.m. I'm listening to Two and I'm willing to bet you that Papa, which is what I called my grandfather, he just died. He just died in this moment because I heard him say to me, like whisper, like I'm putting on this song. That's, and now he's with his mom and my mom didn't call me until 30 minutes later to tell me he had passed away. But I knew I said it happened at two o'clock. And the first thing she, I picked up the phone and she said, you know, Papa passed away. And I said, he passed away at 2 PM. And she was like, how did you know that? And I was like, because the song two was on my Spotify and there was no reason for that song to be on because it was a super sad song. And I was trying to listen to positive Taylor Swift music. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. um, and, and that was just, and he was talking about his mom a couple of days ago. And, yeah. and I know I have this feeling and, you know, that's what happened. And, and that's the truth. It's something too. that always sticks with me. It, it should, because that was absolutely you tuning into his frequency or whatever you want to call it. Okay. But let me ask you this. So you're in the hospital and you're in pretty bad shape. So, They pull you out. They finally figure out kind of what's going on with you. Tell me these people went to jail. No. (laughs) So unfortunately, what happened was, so while I was fighting for my life, I had continuously said, if I make it out of this alive, I'm not going to tell anyone, just so you know. And part of what I remember thinking when I was in the hospital is I can't tell anyone because something is going to happen. I'm going to die or someone's going to die or whatever. And And also, we have talked about the near-death experience. I could speak about this part. But, like, part of me was just, like, I don't know. It it was, like, chill vibes, I guess, is how I could describe it. I was kind of like, ah, all love. You tried to murder me, but, like, no biggie. Um, (laughs) And I'm not even kidding when I say that is something I tweeted. I I, I understand that, though. I do understand that. I was like, no big deal. When you get back from the all-encompassing love that you just got back from, and then you try to understand the ego of the of the human body. And then you're like, eh, okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. Now that you're fully immersed back into it and it's been years, now you're probably a little pissed off. And I understand that. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. at that time, I was like very peaceful and calm. Yeah. But yeah. my friend Sadie had come into the room and she was like, here's what we're going to say, which was the story was um, that we were at a movie theater together and which is where we were supposed to be okay. and that my I was really upset because I felt like my breath didn't smell good so I asked someone if they had a mint and they gave me a mint and it turned out to be a pill which like I don't think anyone bought that story I, I think 15 well I was 16 I think 16 year old me was like yeah okay sure <laughs> but I was like heavily intoxicated yeah and yeah. you know a big thing that she did is she took my clothes home with her Uh, which she wasn't supposed to do because they were supposed to be evidence. So she destroyed evidence um, and and things that were like huge for the case because like a big thing was that when I was getting medical care, they had to do a lot of things and like destroy a lot of things that would have been on my body uh, because I was in critical condition. And so she told them that story and then they came in and asked me what happened. And I just said, my best friend would never hurt me. Mm. And they were like, "Mm, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, completely sure. And I I kind of went along with her story. And months kind of went by where they kept calling and being like, something happened. And here is what we think. We think you were assaulted. We think that this is probably yeah. this could like people are telling us that this could have been something like attempted murder. Like, yeah. I don't know. You got to tell me what's going on. And I basically was like, I don't know. You're, like, you're insane. That's not true. 
that ever happened. I fully knew it was true, but also I was terrified. Of course you were. You were 16 years old. Yeah. Of course you were terrified. And my mom, hearing those things, she did not know about the evidence that exists that only I had access to. Because at that point, people had started calling me and being like, Alexa. Uh, And I know that they had also like, reported things and were concerned about things and for the first time people were kind of taking me seriously but I was just like uh hell no because they didn't take me seriously for years prior when I was reporting John and now they're claiming to be on my side and like no I just like want to move on with my life and I also believed that everything happened just because they hated me because that was what John had said like everyone hates you you deserve to be dead Uh whatever so that's what what i thought i was like there's never going to be another victim no one's ever no one else is ever getting hurt by them because they just hated me because like Mm. i'm this bad no good person but now i'm better because i just i visited the other side and now i'm good and i (laughs) and literally like i'm i'm currently in the process of writing a book i am including like everything down to my journal entries from 2016 where I'm like oh like this isn't a big deal because like God cleansed me and I'm totally fine and whatever and some people might sum that up to you were in a psychotic state and whatever I can say that I didn't technically meet those qualifications anymore I didn't meet those after a couple weeks I was definitely maybe a little bit confused and delusional but I think a lot of that was having the paranormal experience meet the normal experience and there being drugs involved and it being weird I've always felt differently because like there have been arguments made about whether or not I should have been able to like make decisions for myself and I don't know I think I think it's such a tricky situation because I know that I didn't really feel like I wasn't super aware but then like looking back it looks like I'm rambling in my notebook for five pages about how badly I want to be dead again wow. and not in a like bad way, but yeah, <laughs> I just yeah. want to be there. Well, you know, there's and- a lot of people that I interview near death experiencers who say I went into a depression. Like I was so oh, yeah. upset about being here. Cause I was like, you guys don't understand. I just came back from a place where nobody wants to leave. We don't want to be here. This is, this is hell. This is hell. You know? <laughs> Well, and then you say that, like, I I would say it to other people and they would be like, "Mm, okay. And even looking back, you know, almost eight years later, I'm like, "Uh, okay, that was a little bit much because that stuff, I don't know, like, there's a bar set for what's allowed in this realm. And, (laughs) you know, when you go over that or under it or whatever, it's just it's not necessarily socially acceptable. And it's hard for me to know because I'm looking at this with, you know, hindsight and much older. And I don't know. I don't really fully I know what 16 year old me was thinking, but I'm not her anymore. So I can't just be like, um, do we need a psych evaluation or is this just some weird, (laughs) weird thing going on? What I love about this, if you know, you're writing a book, you're talking to me on a podcast We are spreading awareness about, first of all, people that are 15, 16, 14, 15, 16 years old, even below the age of 25. You are not fully developed as an adult in your brain until you're 25 years old. So I can't fault you for doing things that a 14, 15, 16, even older than that person would do because everybody's so easily influenced, especially if you don't really know if you're liked or if you've been told no one likes you and you're indoctrinated in that way of thinking about yourself. That's not your fault, Lexi. And, you know, the fact that you're trying to better it, like what's the biggest lesson you've learned? Let's spread some awareness on what you've learned about this. A good thing that I can say is, 
I remember in the beginning that I was so mad at myself once it kind of once the dust settled and I realized what had happened I had so much self-hate and I one couldn't believe I let them get away with it and two just couldn't believe that they had even done that to me and I I think the biggest blessing for me is that I think all of this, I mean, I'm not really a big, it all happens for a reason person, but I definitely feel like there was some bigger purpose to this all. I'm not sure what it is. I mean, I think for so long, I didn't talk about it. So I just, my bigger purpose was like, oh, I'm going to move on and whatever. And, but now it feels like, oh, not only am I going to move on, but I'm going to show people what you can do even after you know, going through horrific trauma. And I'm going to speak up to so many different people because, you know, the level of awareness I can spread is endless. Like I can talk about things down to, you know, the mental health issues I suffered with prior. I can help parents out. I can work with people, you know, who deal with things like psychosis or drug issues or whatever. I can also talk to near-death experience survivors. I can talk to true crime victims. There are so many different aspects to my story that I can just spread awareness for it all. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be what I think fits. Like, for example, I gave a talk and I was talking about, you know, dangers with drugs and how to keep yourself safe. I don't even necessarily think that that is a talk that I personally would have needed, but someone else out there might. And because of my story and the drug component, I'm able to talk about that. And that to me feels like a blessing. It feels like a blessing to be able to be this person who was able to leave the situation, educate themselves better, talk about these things and, and, you know, spread awareness and create this safe space as a platform. Right. I have to say, I'm, I'm so proud of you that you've overcome this and that you're just, if nothing else, I think talking about it is so healing, Lexi, and just for you specifically, whether they will ever be caught or I don't even know if you're interested in them getting caught or them having some kind of fine for this or whatever. I don't even know if that's your agenda now. Uh, The fact that you're spreading awareness and saying, listen, this can happen to anyone. These are some things that I went through. This is how I overcame them. And, you know, you go from there. And like I said, writing a book, great idea. I've written several books. I don't know if you know that. I'm a paranormal yeah. romance novelist. Yeah. I tell you, I'm, I'm just so proud of you for spreading awareness about this because it sounds like you're getting the help you need. You've already done that as far as, you know, getting better and, and, you know, understanding that there's more to life than just dying. But just the fact that you're talking to people, the ripple effect of what you're doing I don't think you quite understand it. Thank you so much. I also just want to say, I think your podcast and the work that you've done is doing wonders with spreading awareness. I really enjoyed listening to so many episodes. Oh my gosh, thank um, you. And you're, you're definitely the person to listen to because you offer such a unique perspective on things and, and you really approach survivors with such welcoming arms and understanding. And that's something that I really appreciate. Well, you know, there's no judgment here because I've been 16. I've been 14. And I, w- I and let me tell you, I was an idiot and I remember it, you know, and I don't mean it. Everyone forgets yeah, of what I- it is like to actually be like in that awkward age of because course. at that time you just want to fit in and of you just want to be the cool kid and whatever. And once you you realize that and forgive yourself though, Lexi, because that's the thing. I hope you have forgiven yourself because you know what? It could have happened to anybody. You are not the catalyst here. 
You were the victim here. But I honestly want to say you're the survivor, not the victim. Thank you so much. Well, I love providing because I want to know at no cost. So if you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review or you can just buy me a cup of coffee. It's kind of like a Patreon, but you don't have a monthly subscription and you can give whatever you feel led to give. I am a one-woman show and I do all of my scheduling and my interviewing and my editing. So just know your support is so greatly appreciated. And one more thing, I am a paranormal romance novelist and you can find all of my books on Amazon. Just look up my name. I'm very easy to find. Thank you guys again and I will see you next week.